wide unclasp the tables of their thoughts. These same thoughts people their little worlds. Welcome to Wide Unclasp. Hi everybody, I'm Chris Garcia, your host for Wide Unclassed. I want to open this first regular episode with a little story that sort of explains how I'm going to be approaching things. Karina Longworth is an amazing podcaster. Her podcast, you must remember this, is arguably the best film history podcast there is. She looks at the hidden or forgotten history of Hollywood in its first century. She did an entire series on Kenneth Anger's Hollywood Babylon. It's a really incredible book that tells the stories of Hollywood in the 30s, 40s, into the 50s. I think it doesn't go into the 60s, because I think it was written in the 50s, late 50s. And it's very salacious. It focuses on sex mostly, but also drugs, murder, so on and so forth. Kenneth Anger also is an incredible figure who I'm probably going to talk about because he has a lot of connections to the Bay Area. Karina did an entire series looking at Hollywood Babylon and correcting all the stories, giving the historical accounts, fixing the errors that he made. And it didn't make sense to me, and it still doesn't. And when I ran into her, I had interviewed her via email, and then I ran into her down south. The topic of Hollywood Babylon series came up, and I said, Karina, no one fact-checks the angle of the hill that Sisyphus pushed his rock up. I don't think she quite grasped where I was going with it. You see, Anger wasn't writing history. He was writing myth. And there is incredible value in having the mythology of real people of real times. Hollywood's mythology tells us more about what Hollywood is, what it means, what it does, than the actual historical accounts. This is something that is lost on a lot of people because they see, well, they're just telling lies. It's not about the lies. It's about the meaning of the story. Is it a lie that Rudolph Valentino was gay? Probably. He was almost certainly bi, and there's lots of back and forth on that. He was also possibly what I've heard referred to as a Hollywood sexual. (laughs) That is, his sexuality is just whatever Hollywood needs or can provide at the moment. That could be. How he is portrayed, how he is presented, how he is thought of in the late 1950s when Anger was writing Hollywood Babylon is what's important. In essence, it is not telling us the truth. It is telling us what we think of when we attach these rumors, these myths to this time and place. Your stories, true or not, their meanings, their attachments, their methods are key to understanding that time, even more so than the pure recounting of the historical events. Very, very, very key element in the study of history is that history is messy and often contradictory. Because we did not have recorded records of in the moment, so because literally because we did not have a way to capture things that happened, There is always debate over what actually happened at almost every historical event. Shootout at the OK Corral, an excellent example. It was likely an up-close gunfight. Almost certainly every record that any sort of witness to it noted that it was very up-close. 
there are varying descriptions of what actually happened leading to it. But the representation of this grand gunfight with people jumping around and Doc Holliday shooting in the air to scare the horse and then shooting the guy, that was a classic from Tombstone. But there is value in that as well. The value in the sort of the Hollywoodized version is that this is what, since always the Earps and Doc Holliday are presented as the good guys in this story. Flawed good guys, I think, is the best way to look at them in Tombstone. Because of that, they can't just go up and have a short, up-close gunfight. They have to have something that's not only cinematic, but has an element of heroism to it. Heroic isn't getting in close, skinning your pistol and shooting. It's hiding behind a barrel. It's shooting in the air to scare the horse to, to do the shot. There's a, there are all the markers of this time's idea of heroism in it. I apply this to the Winchester stories because there is value in the myth and the history. There's probably more economic value in the myth than the history. But how Sarah Winchester is viewed today and then, which are significantly different, that has a value as well as the simple recounting of the times and things that she did. So the story of the Boston medium, which, not true, but, asterisk, we do know she did some, spend some time in Boston. We do know that Boston was the center for spiritualism and clairvoyance in the United States. The second center, by the way, the Bay Area. We'll talk more about that later. And we also do know that it would be highly unlikely for a woman of her standing to not have an interest in spiritualism, in seances, to at least not have been peripheral to it. And thus myths arise. I will not reject myth at all. I won't reject history at all either. And where the two bump up against each other, that's where some interesting stories happen. But when we look at the stories that are told, we need to dig into those stories and find out what they're actually telling us. I'm going to do that a lot with this. Right now, surrounded the Winchester house, there's a lot of construction going on. What was once a trailer park, the Century 23, the Century 22, the... It hurts still that the Bob's Big Boy, which ended up as a flames, is gone. Buildings are going up, and San Jose loses a little bit more of its character. One of the things that is interesting is that you can no longer experience a San Jose site by standing across the street from the house. You used to be able to see the domes, and you can still see the Century 21 is still there. But you can't, like, get that sort of vista that it felt like San Jose, which is a shame. Probably I'm one of the few people who has that as a connection. Because two of my favorite places, three of my favorite places in the world, actually, were right there. The Winchester House, the Bobs, and the Century Theaters. What I used to do, particularly in the 80s with my dad and the 90s on my own into the early 2000s, it would be a Saturday morning, probably around 11. That's morning at that point. And I would walk, I'd park, and I'd walk to the theater, the box office usually just about opening. 
and I'd buy the ticket for an early show, usually a one o'clock at 1230. I'd then walk over and get breakfast, sometimes lunch, at the Flames more recently, but the Bobs when I was little. And I'd eat a wonderful, Flames had the best breakfast. They were big, they were tasty, they were greasy. <laughs> the coffee was plentiful and quickly filled. The waitresses loved me for some reason. But then, usually breakfast would take about 45 minutes. I'd usually try to buy a ticket an hour or two ahead of time. Then I'd walk over to the house. And originally I would go to the arcade. And the arcade was great. Because at that point it had the Simpsons game, which was sort of a fighting game. You would uh, go around battling people and you could be one of the four Simpsons. I don't know if you could be Maggie. I wonder if you could. But they also had Ivan Stewart's off-road racing, which was the one I probably spent the most time on. Later, when the arcade was, well, all the games were basically broken, um, I would go and walk through the gun collection. I'll do a whole section on the gun collection sometime. Sadly, it's gone, and it makes me so sad. And then I would notice, oh, my God, I have five minutes. i got to get to the movies. So I'd go over to the movies, and I'd watch the movie. That was a day. That was the highlight of my day. I can name a dozen movies I did that with. Never been kissed. Election. I did it multiple times for Election because I loved that movie. I think even the original Batman in 1989, I did that multiple times. Beaches, I like to cry. Defending Your Life, hundreds of movies. It was an area where you had things that could be connected if you were a local. Because if you were a tourist, the thing was the Manchester Mystery House, you might go to the Flames or the Bob's Big Boy. But if you were a local, you had three things you could do that allow you to make a connection to a place. That is one of the things San Jose is missing. That's one of the reasons why I set up Silicon Valley, to talk about what we've lost in San Jose. But it's something that the Winchester House is so clearly beautiful to have. Is it a place that is strictly San Jose? As were those dome theaters. And I hope someone finds a way to reopen the Century 21, because the building is still there. But now they're just offices. They're going to be another mall-type thing like Santana Row. And kind of what's the point of it being in San Jose? if it doesn't feel like San Jose. From Sunset Magazine, Volume 44, Issue 4, Farewell, Welcome, by Sadie Gerard Ruthrauf. I heard March moaning all the day, and half the black night through. As wild seahorses fling the spray, I saw him fling the dew. He grasped the little treetops and he bent them to the ground. Then I heard him go a-rushing with an eerie wailing sound. Then he wrapped his wailing round him and he seemed to slink away. And my heart felt sorrow for him, for he had come so boastful gay. Then I heard the patter-patter of a million little feet somewhat like the fairy clatter, and about as silver-sweet. Then I heard the midnight singing in somewhere a drowsy bird, sent a faint, caressing welcome, sweetest sound I never heard. Then I had a dream of rainbows, and I caught the rush of wings. April had come back again with all her smiling things. Sadie Gerard Ruthrauf was, of course, Sir Winchester's niece and a fantastic poet whose work appeared in things like Sunset and the Overland magazine. I'll be reading pieces from her over the next-ish episodes, 
because one, they're in the public domain, and two, they give an amazing example of the flair for poetry that was running through the West at the time. And Overland Magazine was one of the big purveyors of Western literature, not only publishing Bret Hart, I believe early Steinbeck, William Soroyan, a number of very, very important poets of the early 20th century, late 18th century, late 19th century even. So we'll be getting more of this, classing up the joint as it were. On the paranormal tip, I want to give you a podcast to listen to that is fantastic. It is Scott Mort's Strange Pathways. It is a reasonable follow-on to the Art Bell show back in the day, Coast to Coast AM. He looks at paranormal happenings that are, well, they're paranormal, but he has a very open, unique belief that is neither naive nor hyper-scientific. He approaches things in a very smart way, and he's just a good guy, too. But I highly recommend Strange Pathways. If you want to get through to me, I am Johnny Eponymous on everything. But johnnyeponymous at gmail.com. It's in the show notes, of course. Hopefully there'll be another printed issue, or in this case, PDF issue, of the zine version of Wide Unclasped coming in the few, next few months. I hopefully will get to the house in the next few days. I haven't been in so long. I miss it. So yeah, thank you for listening to White Unclassed.